Hello and welcome to the TES podcast. My name is Richard Vaughan and welcome to the finest podcast on education policy there is around. The biggest. Biggest and the only one. <laughs> um, I am joined today by John Severs. Welcome back, John. John's Hello. had his 17th baby 18th. 18th baby. 18th baby. It's a litter. Yes, the starter family as they call it in Portsmouth. <laughs> yes. Um, Sorry for those people in Portsmouth. Uh, I'm, so also I, I'm representative, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm also joined by Ed Dorrell. Hello, Ed. Hello. Hello. And I'm joined by our token woman. Hello, Ellie. Ellie Hi. Busby, how are you doing? Hello. Um, so what should we talk about this week? It's been a busy, busy week. week. <laughs> um, we, let's talk about uh, Conservative Party Conference. Um, our readers will be able to read about... Um, my take on the uh, party conference on pages. and my take and yours actually yes uh, pages <laughs> 10 and 11 and in the leader which is its usual slot of page 5 um, <laughs> which I know well uh, what did you make of it it's, uh, it, was, it was kind of I thought it was all going to be again like the Labour one I thought it was going to be you know, kind of fist pumping we're all for grammars and all that kind of thing it wasn't really yeah it's interesting isn't it um, I think the world, the bubble within the bubble that you and I inhabited when mm. we were at Tory party conference, which you might call the education bubble. Yes, indeed. Because there were an amazing number of education fringes. Yeah, there were. Um, and they were packed. 10, 15, 20? Yeah, something yeah, like that. Even, yeah. um, the feeling you got from those fringes was that uh, not all the delegates were as wildly keen on the return of grammar schools as you might have expected, possibly mm. lazily. Um, and I used a terrible metaphor that I stretched within the leader about Theresa May thinking that she'd thrown some red meat to her, mm. her fan base, when in fact a big chunk wanted a chicken stir-fry. Aha, uh -huh, very good. Yeah. Um, but the, the point I was making was that actually, in one of the fringes I chaired, in fact, I, I did a straw poll and the majority were against the return of grammars. Yeah. Um, which I, which I think, at least in large part, is down to the fact that Michael Gove and his followers still have a big support base within the Tory party. And it's easy to forget, although it wasn't that long ago, how popular Michael Gove and his reforms were. And they completely are diametrically opposite to grammar schools, i.e. he said all children should do an mm -hmm. academic curriculum. Um, yeah. The best that has been... Yes, indeed. Thought and said. Yeah, yeah. indeed. Uh, and let's not forget, I mean, David Cameron and Michael Gove, yep. they, they, they brought with them an awful lot of people who possibly would have been Labour voting Blairites yep. and ne firmly believe, as you say, in that the best for every child. Um, and you could certainly argue, um, and most arguments do, that grammar schools won't do that. Yeah, absolutely. So it was very interesting, the vibe. Uh, I imagine, to be fair, I imagine if you'd done the same straw poll in a defence policy fringe, yeah, you know, the retired colonels mm -hmm. would all have voted in favour of grammar schools en masse. Yeah. So, like I say, we were in a bubble within a bubble, uh, as characterised by Jonathan Simons in the, week, um, in the Whispers from Westminster mm -hmm. co um, column this week, which he says exactly that. It's yeah. a, you, you kind of carve out your own conference. But it was an interesting vibe, and I mean, it, I think it was just fantastically telling that there were so many fringes, and education is still so central to um, the Tory cell. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, you're right, but it wasn't. I don't think it ever 
quite took uh, centre stage quite as much as it did this year, um, education. And, you know, Theresa May made a big play of it. We're supposed to be going through a consultation at the moment as to whether or not they should bring back grammar schools. Mm -hmm. And she grandstanded in her, in her speech on Wednesday and said, I will be bringing back the first grammar school uh, for 50 years. So... Um, but what they mean, what that means, is still hugely open to um, speculation. Uh, you know, sources I've spoken to say there are lots of members of the shadow cabinet who are already agitating for a watering down. Hmm. I don't know. I, I, that's interesting. That one actually. I, I would disagree. She said, and it's it was pretty uh, black and white. She said, "I will open the first new grammar school for fifty years." So, where do you move from there? Only open one. Only open one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be brilliant. What a waste of time and effort that would be. The amount of worrying about it. Yeah. The yeah. Tea, yeah. It's just one, you know, miles away from anywhere. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good idea. Uh, yeah. Um, it's going to be, di- I think it would be difficult for her to, to, to not introduce yeah. any grounds. I still think, I personally still think, he says, making himself a hostage to fortune, mm. what it will wind up looking like in four years' time, to put a time scale on it, mm. is that in MATS, multi-academy trusts, there will be what they will characterise as high-performance units, or high-performance high schools, which will cherry-pick the, the brightest kids to go in and to drift in and drift out of that school. So I don't think there will be, there might be one or two, but I don't think there will be a whole lot of 11-plus schools, new ones, opening. No, I don't think there'll be a whole lot, but I think you will find a, from what I'm hearing, um, <laughs> you will find people will, will take it as being slightly more palatable if you place a new grammar school in an area which doesn't have any and is very low performing. Like the poor old Knowlesley always gets picked on, but Knowlesley or Cleethorpes or Hastings or something like that, <coughs> this one there. And that, by doing so, they will attract high-quality teachers to areas where they may not have attracted in the past. Um, but we're going to find... It's going to be fun finding out. It's going to be interesting, interesting finding, finding out. Finding out. In, not fun. Not fun. This isn't in, fun. It's, yeah, exactly. It's going to be interesting, as, um, as we used to say at the end of every feature. Um, <laughs> so, what else? Uh, from, from Tory conference, uh, we move on to um, HMC. There yes. was another... Big just down the road as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, in, yeah, in Stratford. Stratford. Yes. So, um, yeah, it was interesting. Uh, com- some of the main things that seemed to be coming up was um, kind of the effects of social media mm. on mental health. So that came up a lot. And they generally seemed really concerned about mental health problems in their schools, in these, in these leading independent schools. Um, and one of the things that was suggested was that we need... Um, fewer role models like Kim Kardashian and more role models like Shakespearean her- her- um, heroes. Um, so um, that that was an interesting one because a lot of people then started to question whether all of Shakespeare's women were good examples. Yeah. Mm. One was Cleopatra, wasn't it? Yeah, one of them was Cleopatra. And is she a good example? I don't know enough about Shakespeare. Um, I think it, some people would say that I've she... I've not read that one. Yeah, so that I is a comment. challenge as well for me yeah. as well. <laughs> <laughs> have you read it, John? I've, I've read a lot of Shakespeare, but not that one. Not that one. I have a feeling... <laughs> and feelings are as good as anything right now. That, I think she, <laughs> <laughs> that she may have been um, a bit promiscuous, actually. Yes, that rings a bell. Um, and but, slightly duplicitous and a bit uh, scheming. Look like Elizabeth Taylor. 
Yes, yeah, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> I've bathed, seen it. Bathed in milk and didn't really like asps. Yeah. Um, and all those women, of course, are a bit defined by a man. Or defined well, by a yeah. man, and they're generally quite often um, dressing as, and dressing as a man as well. well. Yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. it's true. Um, yeah. But yeah, women in Shakespeare are, are generally kind of pretty weak. And quite a lot of them. I mean, yeah. she did say um, that. She kind of gave some examples and she talked about Beatrice from Much Ado About Nothing and she is a pretty good role yeah. model but she still ends up with a man even though she says she doesn't need a man she doesn't need a man then she ends up with a man Exactly, Lady so that Beth, doesn't help exactly well, the greatest yeah. um, Desdemona's not great Ophelia Ophelia's oh, really yeah, not great not good at all it's um, not good which is not good for mental health characters. no no, no not, not good, good for mental, mental health, health at all so, whatever you do yeah <laughs> do not do that don't model yourself on Ophelia <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah exactly um, maybe listeners could come up with a decent Shakespearean heroine yeah, um, yeah. okay so uh, and mental health issues in in, in what yeah, way yeah so there was also they talked about um, they put out a, a survey as well um, about the amount of pupils that are checking their phones overnight um so when they're going to bed um they're checking it more than 10 times some of them what? even though they're supposed to be asleep and the effect that might be having with things like cyberbullying, you know if you're constantly being accessed by certain people mm. so that came up quite a bit and the fact that we should have this digital detox for a podcast that is known for its terrible segues here's a good one ah. <laughs> We've also done a survey about mobile phones mm. yes. in conjunction with Mumsnet and First News, the newspaper for kids, mm-hmm. um, in which we asked the same question of our audience, teachers, parents and kids. We asked them whether mobile phones should be banned in schools and the results were moderately interesting. <laughs> <laughs> the best you can hope for, I guess. <laughs> um, 50% of the teachers want them banned in schools, marginally less parents 47 percent and 43 percent of uh, pupils interesting and people generally seem to be quite interested in the fact that so few teachers so you'd expect more teachers to want mobile phones Mm -hmm. banned Um, and there's a really interesting point about that about uh, how there isn't enough money to invest in technology in schools and we need to use the devices that uh, kids already have Yes, they th- throws up a lot of issues. You have your the BYOD thing, the bring your own device um, idea, where kids bring their own devices into into the classroom. Um, but then you have an issue of the kid having the brand new iPhone Seven Plus, and then a poor kid who doesn't have poor. He's got a Nokia, Nokia He's got a Nokia yeah, or exactly. something. He's still playing Snake on it. Uh, <laughs> which was a good game it was a good game it was highly addictive and of course um, if you ban mobile phones presumably the teachers aren't allowed to have theirs hmm I, I know how will they look at our amazing news online yeah well absolutely I know of a deputy head who walked into a classroom and the teacher was playing their phone well messaging their phone in the drawer of the desk <laughs> and she said what are you doing and the teacher said nothing <laughs> like they've been caught like a student like a student um, so yeah, uh, if it's a ban, it's a ban, isn't it? It's a ban. If it's well, a ban. Interesting isn't there an interesting question story you know about um, the kids being sent to the isolation unit? Yeah, something? so I went to a school last year, and they uh, the, the 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 child got sent to see the head teacher, and by the time the child got there, the, his mother had already been on the phone to the head teacher saying, "Why have you brought my, uh, called my son out of class?" Whoa! <laughs> and the head teacher's like, I wasn't aware I had them. <laughs> wow! And then there was a knock on the door, and the child's there, and they text their mum on the way, and the mum had rang straight up. Blimey! Mm. 
That's rapid response. Ban them. That's what I say. You say ban them? Yeah. Yeah? What do you say? Everything has a place with the right rules and regulations. That's exactly, exactly what I was going to say, but said better. Um, what were you going to well, say? Well, what I was going to say is, interestingly, although they showed the survey of basically switching off, they're saying 90 minutes before bed, you should be switching those phones off, putting them sure. elsewhere. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, Mike Buchanan from the HMC was saying that he doesn't think technology is evil and there is a place for it. He wasn't at all calling for a ban. Um, he was saying that, you know, it just needs to be used in the right way. Um, so I think that it's it's going to be pretty much up to the school, isn't it? Yeah. Whether they, but it's it's a difficult one if you're saying parents you should be taking your phones off your kids 19 minutes before bed, but actually in the school you're not necessarily taking the phones off them. It's yeah. a hard one to try and get parents on board, I'd say. It's a whole minefield, isn't it? I mean, I think it's really interesting the parental attitude as well. Exactly. What what the mums that people were saying was that. You know, in the same way, you don't want to ever lose your mobile phone. If, as a parent, you want to know your kids safe all the time. And the expectation now, different to when we were kids, was that you can text them at a moment's notice. You you know, at any one time, you can make contact with them to make sure they're okay. And actually, it's as hard for the parents for the mobile phones to be switched off as it is for the kids. Absolutely. And yes, you the know, umbilical cord's gone. You 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 need. We're only going one way uh, in this technologically advanced it's madness. World. Yes, so you've got to be able to teach the kids how to deal with it, how to put the phone down and carry on with their studies or whatever else and not be distracted. Personally, though, I think it's go- we're going to rue the day and the machines will take over. <laughs> so, so we need to... Um, Can we get the Terminator music on? Yeah, should do. Um, we need to have a, an age limit on smartphones. How about <laughs> that one? Anyway, discussion point. Um, so anything else from HMC that stood out? Um, a lot about exams and assessment. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, they're f- one of their favourite topics. So, uh, yeah, not happy with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the moment, um, Professor Rob Coe did a uh, session on that and he was talking about how uh, one of his PhD students actually had looked into how much it costs um, for the exam system and it, apparently it's a quarter of a billion pounds just for exam entries. Oh, uh, yeah per year. Wow. <laughs> it, is, it is a staggering amount of money. Mm. I was tweeting about it the other night off the back of your story and John Dunford, uh, the former General Secretary of Askell, came on online and, and made the observation that people generally know, but it is still amazing, that it is the second biggest overhead in any secondary school after, the, after workforce, after salaries. Mm. The second biggest expense is exams. Yeah. It's staggering. Mm. Something has to be done. Something should be done. And quite a few heads actually were kind of well. He was he asked them whether they were considering ditching GCSEs. Mm. Obviously, this is in the in the private schools, mm. and a lot of heads were nodding. Um, so it does seem that people are kind of fed up. I think it was I can't remember exactly the amount, but a lot of the amount was on GCSE entries. So um, interesting. Yeah. I think Theresa May is talking about intervening in failing markets. Uh-huh. See what I've done there? Yeah, very good. Very <laughs> good. Very contemporaneous. Um, so heads were heading. Mm. Um, John, we're going to go on to um, one of Nick Gibbs' uh, favourite educationalists, um, Daniel Willingham. He has, I'm trying to find it, and I can't find it. He has a new in book. In our out. giant magazine, which what? is crammed full of stuff. Um, it's there somewhere. He's given us uh, it's Test Talks too. an exclusive preview of his book that's coming out, not coming out till April. Oh. So he's the, he's best known for why don't students like school, mm-hmm. and as he says, his aim in all these bo- education books he does is to is to paint a, a sort of cartoon 
of what happens in the brain when certain processes involved in education um, happen. And he's very clear that what he's not doing is, is a theory of instruction. It's a, it's, it's a theory of reading or a theory of um, learning or memory. He, he's very clear that there's a, there's a boundary there. He's providing the information and it's up to teachers to create the pedagogy around that. So he's got, he, the, the latest topic he wants to focus on is reading. And so he's describing what happens in the brain when you're learning to read. And so that teachers can understand that when a child gets stuck, they know what's going on in the brain as well as what they're supposed to do next, essentially. Wow. Whoa. It's quite, it's, it, it's, it's, it's high level, but he has an amazing way of writing that sort of breaks it down into simplistic terms. Sure, but how, 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 how does he do this, this magic? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, he's actually very aware that there's a tension in all academic research towards what happens when it transfers to the classroom. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, you know, he's quoted in the piece, he says, in the piece he says, how do you know when to trust the experts? It's actually yeah. very, it's, there's a lot of tension there and there's a lot of people making big claims in academia and there's a lot of people making big claims in the classroom about connecting the two. Sure. When actually that transference process is, is very complicated and not as simplistic as it's, it's shown to be. So this is early on uh, children learning to mm. read rather than... Yeah, he said... Up. The vast majority of children learn to read in the same way, mm -hmm. but they will stumble on different areas of that process. It's a three-step process. Right. Um, the second stage, if you like, is the most complicated, which is hearing word sounds. Mm -hmm. um, and he said there's a correlation between your socioeconomic background or mm -hmm. also how linguistic your background is yeah. with how well you can overcome that problem at the stage two. That's fascinating. So it doesn't matter, you, you, you sort of, doesn't matter on your background whether you struggle with it, but how much you struggle with it depends on your background. So by highlighting and uh, uncovering these, you'd be able to put in decent in interventions? Yeah, possibly. his idea is that if you understand what's going on in the brain, mm -hmm. you can then go, okay, well, we know that this is the bit they're struggling with. We know that this is happening in the brain at that point. So this is the intervention that's possibly best suited. Yeah. What he doesn't want to say is what that intervention is. He says teachers are the best people to know that. Sure. He's very similar to what Edie Hirsch was saying, what mm -hmm. Kevin Collins says. It's that research is there as background information. Yeah. It's not a theory of instruction. Yeah, so. sure. And you know, Edie Hirsch said you know, he's widely quoted as specifying pedagogy. And Kevin Collins is sometimes, from the Education Endowment Foundation, is accused of, sort of trying to dictate. Yeah. But they're very clear that it's just information and it's the teachers that decide because they know the kids absolutely so it's empowering if you will yeah very empowering i think yeah it's fascinating i am currently um trying to help teach my child to read and <laughs> that's difficult it's, it's in, i'm i'm at the same thing and you know you say you think they get it but actually they just remember what it looks like exactly and it's very and well, sometimes don't well, I Despite say, you pointing it out nine times yeah. in the past nine pages. Yeah. Well, you say so, and they say so, and then you point to a word that's wood, and they go, so. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we read the same book so many times, it's just committed to memory. Yeah. So, like, this kid's a genius. <laughs> and then you give them a new word. And you just just when anyone comes over, just get that book get out. Get that book out, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, it's a bit like an offset inspection, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. precisely. <laughs> Uh, I am going to leave it there. I one thing I will say is um, I got four in the quiz. I can't remember. I think I got about four. Yeah, 
I won. You got one. <laughs> I have not done it you yet. You haven't done it yet. Very wise. Something to do over the weekend. Indeed. The quiz is brilliant, though. The quiz is brilliant. Maybe people can tweet in what they got. And if you beat four, then bully for you. Um, What's next, John? Yes, what is next week, exactly? Next week, we have um, the 50th anniversary oh, yeah. of uh, oh. Callaghan's speech at Ruskin College. I had um, Sir Michael Wilshaw asking me when this was going to uh, feature. So It's next Friday. It's next Friday. And this is Edge of Geek Turf. Can I talk about it briefly? Yes, of course of you can. Yes. 40 years ago, a Prime Minister called Jim Callaghan, that some of you might remember, stood up and he made a speech that changed all of education policy. Before the secret then, garden. Yeah. the secret garden. Before then, prime ministers and education secretaries basically didn't tell schools what to do, ever. Imagine. Exactly, and education was known as a secret garden that only teachers could kind of enter. And after that, uh, everything changed, and you've got Ofsted, and you've got a million powers at the DfE, and you've got floor standards, and you've got league tables, and you've got. Michael Wilshaw shouting at you and you've got all the stress that goes with being a head and a teacher now and it all dates back to this amazing speech that Jim Callaghan gave so we've got a feature featuring several sirs we've got Sir Michael Barber, Sir Michael Wilshaw and Sir Tim Brickhouse all pontificating on what the Ruskin speech meant for a tiny number of people this will be a brilliant read. <laughs> <laughs> We're going niche in a niche. Excellent. Um, I'm one of them, though. Yeah, fair As enough. You can tell, I'm excited about it. Uh, it should be good. Brilliant. OK, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, that leaves me to say thank you to Ellie, Ed and John. Thank you all for thank listening you, out there. And thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.